Section 40 of Tom Jones. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Renee Bell. Tom Jones by Henry Fielding. Book 11, Chapter 7, in which Mrs. Fitzpatrick concludes her history. While Mrs. Honor, in pursuance of the commands of her mistress, ordered a bowl of punch, and invited my landlord and landlady to partake of it, Mrs. Fitzpatrick thus went on with her relation. Most of the officers who were quartered at a town in our neighborhood were of my husband's acquaintance. Among these there was a lieutenant, a very pretty sort of man, and who was married to a woman, so agreeable both in her temper and conversation, that from our first knowing each other, which was soon after my lying in, we were almost inseparable companions, for I had the good fortune to make myself equally agreeable to her. The lieutenant, who was neither a sot nor a sportsman, was frequently of our parties. Indeed, he was very little with my husband, and no more than good breeding constrained him to be, as he lived almost constantly at our house. My husband often expressed much dissatisfaction at the lieutenant's preferring my company to his. He was very angry with me on that account and gave me many a hearty curse for drawing away his companions, saying, I ought to be damned for having spoiled one of the prettiest fellows in the world by making a milksop of him. You will be mistaken, my dear Sophia, if you imagine that the anger of my husband arose from my depriving him of a companion, for the lieutenant was not a person with whose society a fool could be pleased. And if I should admit the possibility of this, so little right had my husband to place the loss of his companion to me, that I am convinced it was my conversation alone which induced him ever to come to the house. No, child, it was envy. The worst and most rancorous kind of envy. The envy of superiority of understanding. The wretch could not bear to see my conversation preferred to his, by a man of whom he could not entertain the least jealousy. Oh, my dear Sophie, you are a woman of sense. If you marry a man, is as most probable you will, of less capacity than yourself, make frequent trials of his temper before marriage, and see whether he can bear to submit to such a superiority. Promise me, Sophie, you will take this advice, for you will hereafter find its importance. It is very likely I shall never marry at all, answered Sophia. I think, at least, I shall never marry a man in whose understanding I see any defects before marriage, and I promise you, I would rather give up my own than see any such afterwards. Give up your understanding, replied Mrs. Fitzpatrick. Oh, fly, child, I will not believe so meanly of you. Everything else I might myself be brought to give up, but never this. Nature would not have allotted this superiority to the wife in so many instances, if she had intended we should all of us have surrendered it to the husband. This, indeed, men of sense never expect of us, of which the lieutenant I have just mentioned was one notable example, for though he had a very good understanding, he always acknowledged, as was really true, that his wife had a better. And this, perhaps, was one reason of the hatred my tyrant bore her before he would be so governed by a wife, he said, especially such an ugly bit, for indeed she was not a regular beauty, but very agreeable and extremely genteel. He would see all the women upon earth at the devil, which was a very usual phrase with him. He said he wondered what I could see in her to be so charmed with her company, since this woman, says he, had come among us, there is an end of your beloved reading. 
which you pretended to like so much that you could not afford time to return the visits of the ladies in this country and i must confess i had been guilty of a little rudeness this way for the ladies there are at least no better than the mere country ladies here and i think i need make no other excuse to you for declining any intimacy with them this correspondence however continued a whole year even all the while the lieutenant was quartered in that town for which i was contented to pay the tax of being constantly abused in the manner above mentioned by my husband i mean when he was at home for he was frequently absent a month at a time at dublin and once made a journey of two months to london in all which journeys i thought it a very singular happiness that he never once desired my company nay by his frequent censures on men who could not travel as you phrased it without a wife tied up to their tail he sufficiently intimated that had i been never so desirous of accompanying him my wishes would have been in vain but heaven knows such wishes were very far from my thoughts at length my friend was removed from me and i was again left to my solitude to the tormenting conversation with my own reflections and to apply to books for my only comfort i now read almost all day long how many books do you think i read in three months i can't guess indeed cousin answered sophia perhaps half a score half a score half a thousand child answered the other i read a good deal in daniel's english history of france a great deal in plutarch's lives the atalantis pope's homer dryden's plays shillingworth the countess d'aulnois and locke's human understanding during this interval i wrote three very supplicating and i thought moving letters to my aunt but as i received no answer to any of them my disdain would not suffer me to continue my application here she stopped and looking earnestly at sophia said methinks my dear i read something in your eyes which reproaches me of a neglect in another place where i should have met with a kinder return indeed dear harriet answered sophia your story is an apology for any neglect but indeed i feel that i have been guilty of a remissness without so good an excuse yet pray proceed for i long though i tremble to hear the end thus then mrs fitzpatrick resumed her narrator my husband now took a second journey to england where he continued upwards of three months during the greater part of this time i led a life which nothing but having led a worse could make me think tolerable for perfect solitude can never be reconciled to a social mind like mine but when it relieves you from the company of those you hate but added to my wretchedness was the loss of my little infant not that i pretend to have had for it that extravagant tenderness of which i believe i might have been capable under other circumstances but i resolved in every instance to discharge the duty of the tenderest mother and this care prevented me from feeling the weight of that heaviest of all things when it can be at all said to lie heavy on our hands i had spent full ten weeks almost entirely by myself having seen nobody all that time except my servants and a very few visitors when a young lady a relation to my husband came from a distant part of ireland to visit me she had stayed once before a week at my house and then i gave her a pressing invitation to return for she was a very agreeable woman and had improved good natural parts by a proper education indeed she was to me a welcome guest a few days after her arrival perceiving me in very low spirits without inquiring the cause which indeed she very well knew the young lady fell to compassionating my case she said 
though politeness had prevented me from complaining to my husband's relations of his behavior yet they all were very sensible of it and felt great concern upon that account but none more than herself and after some more general discourse on this head which i own i could not forbear countenancing at last after much previous precaution and enjoined concealment she communicated to me as a profound secret that my husband kept a mistress you will certainly imagine i heard this news with the utmost insensibility upon my word if you do your imagination will mislead you contempt had not so kept down my anger to my husband but that hatred rose again on this occasion what can be the reason of this are we so abominably selfish that we can be concerned at others having possession even of what we despise or are we not rather abominably vain and is not this the greatest injury done to our vanity what think you sophia i don't know indeed answered sophia i have never troubled myself with any of these deep contemplations but i think the lady did very ill in communicating to you such a secret and yet my dear this conduct is natural replied mrs fitzpatrick and when you have seen and read as much as myself you will acknowledge it to be so i am sorry to hear it is natural returned sophia for i want neither reading nor experience to convince me that it is very dishonourable and very ill-natured nay it is surely as ill-bred to tell a husband or wife of the faults of each other as to tell them of their own well continued mrs fitzpatrick my husband at last returned and if i am thoroughly acquainted with my own thoughts i hated him now more than ever but i despised him rather less for certainly nothing so much weakens our contempt as an injury done to our pride or our vanity he now assumed a carriage to me so very different from what he had lately worn and so nearly resembling his behaviour the first week of our marriage that had i now had any spark of love remaining he might possibly have rekindled my fondness for him but though hatred may succeed to contempt and may perhaps get the better of it love i believe cannot the truth is the passion of love is too restless to remain contented without the gratification which it receives from its object and one can no more be inclined to love without loving than we can have eyes without seeing when a husband therefore ceases to be the object of this passion it is most probable some other man i say my dear if your husband grows indifferent to you if you once come to despise him i say that is if you have the passion of love in you Lud, i have bewildered myself so but one is apt in these abstracted considerations to lose the concatenation of ideas as mr locke says in short the truth is in short i scarce know what it is but as i was saying my husband returned and his behaviour at first greatly surprised me but he soon acquainted me with the motive and taught me to account for it in a word then he had spent and lost all the ready money of my fortune and as he could mortgage his own estate no deeper he was now desirous to supply himself with cash for his extravagance by selling a little estate of mine which he could not do without my assistance and to obtain this favour was the whole and sole motive of all the fondness which he now put on with this i peremptorily refused to comply i told him and i told him truly that had i been possessed of the indies at our first marriage he might have commanded it all 
for it had been a constant maxim with me that where a woman disposes of her heart she should always deposit her fortune but as he had been so kind long ago to restore the former into my possession i was resolved likewise to retain what little remained of the latter i will not describe to you the passion into which these words and the resolute air in which they were spoken threw him nor will i trouble you with the whole scene which succeeded between us out came you may be well assured the story of the mistress and out it did come with all the embellishments which anger and disdain could bestow upon it mr fitzpatrick seemed a little thunderstruck with this and more confused than i had seen him though his ideas are always confused enough heaven knows he did not however endeavour to exculpate himself but took a method which almost equally confounded me what was this but recrimination he affected to be jealous he may for aught i know be inclined enough to jealousy in his natural temper nay he must have had it from nature or the devil must have put it into his head for i defy all the world to cast a just aspersion on my character nay the most scandalous tongues have never dared censure my reputation my fame i thank heaven hath always been as spotless as my life and that falsehood itself accuse that if it dare no my dear grave heirs however provoked however ill-treated however injured in my love i have firmly resolved never to give the least room for censure on this account and yet my dear there are some people so malicious some tongues so venomous that no innocence can escape them the most undesigned word the most accidental look the least familiarity the most innocent freedom will be misconstrued and magnified into i know not what by some people but i despise my dear grave airs i despise all such slander no such malice i assure you ever gave me an uneasy moment no no i promise you i am above all that but where was i oh let me see i told you my husband was jealous and of whom i pray why of whom but the lieutenant i mentioned to you before he was obliged to resort above a year and more back to find any object for this unaccountable passion if indeed he really felt any such and was not an errant counterfeit in order to abuse me but i have tired you already with too many particulars i will now bring my story to a very speedy conclusion in short then after many scenes very unworthy to be repeated in which my cousin engaged so heartily on my side that mr fitzpatrick at last turned her out of doors when he found i was neither to be soothed nor bullied into compliance he took a very violent method indeed perhaps you will conclude he beat me but this though he hath approached very near to it he never actually did he confined me to my room without suffering me to have either pen ink paper or book and the servant every day made my bed and brought me my food when i had remained a week under this imprisonment he made me a visit and with the voice of a schoolmaster or what is often much the same of a tyrant asked me if i would yet comply i answered very stoutly that i would die first then so you shall and be damned cries he for you shall never go alive out of this room here i remained a fortnight longer and to say the truth my constancy was almost subdued and i began to think of submission when one day in the absence of my husband who was gone abroad for some short time by the greatest good fortune in the world an accident happened i at a time when i began to give way to the utmost despair everything would be excusable at such a time 
at that very time i received but it would take up an hour to tell you all particulars in one word then for i will not tire you with circumstances gold the common key to all padlocks opened my door and set me at liberty i now made haste to dublin where i immediately procured a passage to england and was proceeding to bath in order to throw myself into the protection of my aunt or of your father or of any relation who would afford it me my husband overtook me last night at the inn where i lay and which you left a few minutes before me but i had the good luck to escape him and to follow you and thus my dear ends my history a tragical one i am sure it is to myself but perhaps i ought rather to apologize to you for its dullness sophia heaved a deep sigh and answered indeed harriet i pity you from my soul but what could you expect why why would you marry an irishman upon my word replied her cousin your censure is unjust there are among the irish men of as much worth and honour as any among the english nay to speak the truth generosity of spirit is rather more common among them i have known some examples there too of good husbands and i believe these are not very plenty in england ask me rather what i could expect when i married a fool and i will tell you a solemn truth i did not know him to be so can no man said sophia in a very low and altered voice do you think make a bad husband who is not a fool that answered the other is too general a negative but none i believe is so likely as a fool to prove so among my acquaintance the silliest fellows are the worst husbands and i will venture to assert as a fact that a man of sense rarely behaves very ill to a wife who deserves very well chapter eight a dreadful alarm in the inn with the arrival of an unexpected friend of mrs fitzpatrick sophia now at the desire of her cousin related not what follows but what hath gone before in this history for which reason the reader will i suppose excuse me for not repeating it over again one remark however i cannot forbear making on her narrative namely that she made no more mention of jones from the beginning to the end than if there had been no such person alive this i will neither endeavour to account for nor to excuse indeed if this may be called a kind of dishonesty it seems the more inexcusable from the apparent openness and explicit sincerity of the other lady but so it was just as sophia arrived at the conclusion of her story there arrived in the room where the two ladies were sitting a noise not unlike in loudness to that of a pack of hounds just let out from their kennel nor in shrillness to cats when caterwauling or to screech owls or indeed more like for what animal can resemble a human voice to those sounds which in the pleasant mansions of that gate which seems to derive its name from a duplicity of tongues issue from the mouths and sometimes from the nostrils of those fair river nymphs eclipsed of old the naiades and the vulgar tongue translated oyster wenches for when instead of the antient libations of milk and honey and oil the rich distillation from the juniper berry or perhaps from malt hath by the early devotion of their votaries been poured forth in great abundance should any daring tongue with unhallowed license profane i e depreciate the delicate fat milton oyster the place sounded firm the flounder as much alive as when in the water the shrimp as big as a prawn the fine cod alive but a few hours ago 
or any other of the various treasures which those water deities who fish the sea and rivers have committed to the care of the nymphs the angry naiades lift up their immortal voices and the profane wretches struck deaf for his impiety such was the noise which now burst from one of the rooms below and soon the thunder which long had rattled at a distance began to approach nearer and nearer till having ascended by degrees upstairs it at last entered the apartment where the ladies were in short to drop all metaphor and figure mrs honour having scolded violently below stairs and continued the same all the way up came in to her mistress in a most outrageous passion crying out what doth your ladyship think would you imagine that this impudent villain the master of this house hath the impudence to tell me nay to stand it out to my face that your ladyship is that nasty stinking whore jenny cameron the caller that runs about the country with the pretender nay the lying saucy villain had the assurance to tell me that your ladyship had owned yourself to be so but i have clawed the rascal i have left the marks of my nails in his impudent face my lady says i you saucy scoundrel my lady is meet for no pretenders she is a young lady of as good fashion and family and fortunate as any in somersetshire did you never hear of the great squire weston sirrah she is his only daughter she is and heiress to all his great estate my lady to be called a nasty scotch whore by such a varlet to be sure i wish i had knocked his brains out with a punch bowl the principal uneasiness with which sophia was affected on this occasion honour had herself caused by having in her passion discovered who she was however as this mistake of the landlord sufficiently accounted for those passages which sophia had before mistaken she acquired some ease on that account nor could she upon the whole forbear smiling this enraged honour and she cried indeed madam i did not think your ladyship would have made a laughing matter of it to be called whore by such an impudent low rascal your ladyship may be angry with me for aught i know for taking your part since proffered service they say stings but to be sure i could never bear to hear a lady of mine called whore nor will i bear it i am sure your ladyship is as virtuous a lady as ever set foot on english ground and i will claw any villain's eyes out who dares for to offer to presume for to say the least word to the contrary nobody ever could say the least ill of the character of any lady that ever i waited upon hinkele lecrine in plain truth honour had as much love for her mistress as most servants have that is to say but besides this her pride obliged her to support the character of the lady she waited on for she thought her own was in a very close manner connected with it in proportion as the character of her mistress was raised hers likewise as she conceived was raised with it and on the contrary she thought the one could not be lowered without the other on this subject reader i must stop a moment to tell thee a story the famous nell gwynn stepping one day from a house where she had made a short visit into her coach saw a great mob assembled and her footmen all bloody and dirty the fellow being asked by his mistress the reason of his being in that condition answered i have been fighting madam with an impudent rascal who called your ladyship a whore you blockhead replied mrs gwynn at this rate you must fight every day of your life why you fool all the world knows it do they cries the fellow in a muttering voice after he had shut the coach-door 
they shan't call me a horse footman for all that thus the passion of mrs honour appears natural enough even if it were to be no otherwise accounted for but in reality there was another cause of her anger for which we must beg leave to remind our reader of a circumstance mentioned in the above simile there are indeed certain liquors which being applied to our passions or to fire produce effects the very reverse of those produced by water as they serve to kindle and inflame rather than to extinguish among these the generous liquor called punch is one it was not therefore without reason that the learned dr cheney used to call drinking punch pouring liquid fire down your throat now mrs honour had unluckily poured so much of this liquid fire down her throat that the smoke of it began to ascend into her pericranium and blinded the eyes of reason which is there supposed to keep her residence while the fire itself from the stomach easily reached the heart and there inflamed the noble passion of pride so that upon the whole we shall cease to wonder at the violent rage of the waiting one though at first sight we must confess the cause seems inadequate to the effect sophia and her cousin both did all in their power to extinguish these flames which had roared so loudly all over the house they at length prevailed or to carry the metaphor one step farther the fire having consumed all the fuel which the language affords to wit every reproachful term in it at last went out of its own accord but though tranquillity was restored above stairs it was not so below where my landlady highly resenting the injury done to the beauty of her husband by the flesh spades of mrs honour called aloud for revenge and justice as to the poor man who had principally suffered in the engagement he was perfectly quiet perhaps the blood which he lost might have cooled his anger for the enemy had not only applied her nails to his cheeks but likewise her fist to his nostrils which lamented the blow with tears of blood in great abundance to this we may add reflections on his mistake but indeed nothing so effectually silenced his resentment as the manner in which he now discovered his error for as to the behaviour of mrs honour it had the more confirmed him in his opinion but he was now assured by a person of great figure and who was attended by a great equipage that one of the ladies was a woman of fashion and his intimate acquaintance by the orders of this person the landlord now ascended and acquainted our fair travellers that a great gentleman below desired to do them the honour of waiting on them sophia turned pale and trembled at this message though the reader will conclude it was too civil notwithstanding the landlord's blunder to have come from her father but fear hath the common fault of a justice of peace and is apt to conclude hastily from every slight circumstance without examining the evidence on both sides to ease the reader's curiosity therefore rather than his apprehensions we proceed to inform him that an irish peer had arrived very late that evening at the inn in his way to london this nobleman having sallied from his supper at the hurricane before commemorated had seen the attendant of mrs fitzpatrick and upon a short inquiry was informed that her lady with whom he was very particularly acquainted was above this information he had no sooner received than he addressed himself to the landlord pacified him and sent him upstairs with compliments rather civiler than those which were delivered it may perhaps be wondered at that the waiting woman herself was not the messenger employed on this occasion but we are sorry to say she was not at present qualified for that or indeed for any other office 
the rum for so the landlord chose to call the distillation from malt had basely taken the advantage of the fatigue which the poor woman had undergone and had made terrible depredations on her noble faculties at a time when they were very unable to resist the attack we shall not describe this tragical scene too fully but we thought ourselves obliged by that historic integrity which we profess shortly to hint a matter which we would otherwise have been glad to have spared many historians indeed for want of this integrity or diligence to say no worse often lead the reader to find out these little circumstances in the dark and sometimes to his great confusion and perplexity sophia was very soon eased of her causeless fright by the entry of the noble peer who was not only an intimate acquaintance of mrs fitzpatrick but in reality a very particular friend of that lady to say truth it was by his assistance that she had been enabled to escape from her husband for this nobleman had the same gallant disposition with those renowned knights of whom we read in heroic story and had delivered many an imprisoned nymph from durance he was indeed as bitter an enemy to the savage authority too often exercised by husbands and fathers over the young and lovely of the other sex as ever knight-errant was to the barbarous power of enchanters nay to say truth i have often suspected that those very enchanters with which romance everywhere abounds were in reality no other than the husbands of those days and matrimony itself was perhaps the enchanted castle in which the nymphs were said to be confined this nobleman had an estate in the neighbourhood of fitzpatrick and had been for some time acquainted with the lady no sooner therefore did he hear of her confinement than he earnestly applied himself to procure her liberty which he presently effected not by storming the castle according to the example of antient heroes but by corrupting the governor in conformity with the modern art of war in which craft is held to be preferable to valour and gold is found to be more irresistible than either lead or steel this circumstance however as the lady did not think it material enough to relate to her friend we would not at that time impart it to the reader we rather chose to leave him a while under a supposition that she had found or coined or by some very extraordinary perhaps supernatural means had possessed herself of the money with which she had brought her keeper than to interrupt her narrative by giving a hint of what seemed to her of too little importance to be mentioned the peer after a short conversation could not forbear expressing some surprise at meeting the lady in that place nor could he refrain from telling her he imagined she had been gone to bath mrs fitzpatrick very freely answered that she had been prevented in her purpose by the arrival of a person she need not mention in short said she i was overtaken by my husband for i need not affect to conceal what the world knows too well already i had the good fortune to escape in a most surprising manner and am now going to london with this young lady who is a near relation of mine and who hath escaped from as great a tyrant as my own his lordship concluding that this tyrant was likewise a husband made a speech full of compliments to both the ladies and as full of invectives against his own sex nor indeed did he avoid some oblique glances at the matrimonial institution itself and at the unjust powers given by it to man over the more sensible and more meritorious part of the species he ended his oration with an offer of his protection and of his coach and six which was instantly accepted by mrs fitzpatrick and at last upon her persuasions by sophia 
matters being thus suggested his lordship took his leave and the ladies retired to rest where mrs fitzpatrick entertained her cousin with many high encomiums on the character of the noble peer and enlarged very particularly on his great fondness for his wife saying she believed he was almost the only person of high rank who was entirely constant to the marriage bed indeed added she my dear sophie that is a very rare virtue amongst men of condition never expect it when you marry for believe me if you do you will certainly be deceived a gentle sigh stole from sophia at these words which perhaps contributed to form a dream of no very pleasant kind but as she never revealed this dream to any one so the reader cannot expect to see it related here chapter nine the morning introduced in some pretty riding a stage-coach the civility of chambermaids the heroic temper of sophia her generosity the return to it the departure of the company and their arrival at london with some remarks for the use of travellers those members of society who are born to furnish the blessings of life now began to light their candles in order to pursue their daily labours for the use of those who are born to enjoy these blessings the sturdy hind now attends the levee of his fellow labourer the ox the cunning artificer the diligent mechanic spring from their hard mattress and now the bonny housemaid begins to repair the disordered drum-room while the riotous authors of that disorder in broken interrupted slumbers tumble and toss as if the hardness of down disquieted their repose in simple phrase the clock had no sooner struck seven than the ladies were ready for their journey and at their desire his lordship and his equipage were prepared to attend them and now a matter of some difficulty arose and this was how his lordship himself should be conveyed for though in stage-coaches where passengers are properly considered as so much luggage the ingenious coachman stows half a dozen with perfect ease into the place of four for well he contrives that the fat hostess or well-fed alderman may take up no more room than the slim miss or taper master it being the nature of guts when well squeezed to give way and to lie in a narrow compass yet in these vehicles which are called for distinction's sake gentlemen's coaches though they are often larger than the others this method of packing is never attempted his lordship would have put a short end to the difficulty by very gallantly desiring to mount his horse but mrs fitzpatrick would by no means consent to it it was therefore concluded that the abigail should by turns relieve each other on one of his lordship's horses which was presently equipped with a side saddle for that purpose everything being settled at the inn the ladies discharged their former guides and sophia made a present to the landlord partly to repair the bruise which he had received under herself and partly on account of what he had suffered under the hands of her enraged waiting woman and now sophia first discovered a loss which gave her some uneasiness and this was of the hundred pound bank bill which her father had given her at their last meeting and which within a very inconsiderable trifle was all the treasure she was at present worth she searched everywhere and shook and tumbled all her things to no purpose the bill was not to be found and she was at last fully persuaded that she had lost it from her pocket when she had the misfortune of tumbling from her horse in the dark lane as before recorded a fact that seemed the more probable as she now recollected some discomposure in her pockets which had happened at that time 
and the great difficulty with which she had drawn forth her handkerchief the very instant before her fall in order to relieve the distress of mrs fitzpatrick misfortunes of this kind whatever inconveniences they may be attended with are incapable of subduing a mind in which there is any strength without the assistance of avarice sophia therefore though nothing could be worse timed than this accident at such a season immediately got the better of her concern and with her wonted serenity and cheerfulness of countenance returned to her company his lordship conducted the ladies into the vehicle as he did likewise mrs honour who after many civilities and more dear madams at last yielded to the well-bred importunities of her sister abigail and submitted to be complimented with the first ride in the coach in which indeed she would afterwards have been contented to have pursued her whole journey had not her mistress after several fruitless intimations at length forced her to take her turn on horseback the coach now having received its company began to move forwards attended by many servants and led by two captains who had before rode with his lordship and who would have been dismissed from the vehicle upon a much less worthy occasion than was this of accommodating two ladies in this they acted only as gentlemen but they were ready at any time to have performed the office of a footman or indeed would have condescended lower for the honour of his lordship's company and for the convenience of his table my landlord was so pleased with the present he had received from sophia that he rather rejoiced in than regretted his bruise or his scratches the reader will perhaps be curious to know the quantum of this present but we cannot satisfy his curiosity whatever it was it satisfied the landlord for his bodily hurt but he lamented he had not known before how little the lady valued her money for to be sure says he one might have charged every article double and she would have made no capital at the reckoning his wife however was far from drawing this conclusion whether she really felt any injury done to her husband more than he did himself i will not say certain it is she was much less satisfied with the generosity of sophia indeed cried she my dear the lady knows better how to dispose of her money than you imagine she might very well think we should not put up such a business without some satisfaction and the law would have cost her an infinite deal more than this poor little matter which i wonder you would take you are always so bloodily wise quoth the husband it would have cost her more would it dost fancy i don't know that as well as thee but would any of that more or so much have come into our pockets indeed if son tom the lawyer had been alive i could have been glad to have put such a pretty business into his hands he would have got a good picking out of it but i have no relation now who is a lawyer and why should i go to law for the benefit of strangers nay to be sure answered she you must know best i believe i do replied he i fancy when money is to be got i can smell it out as well as another everybody let me tell you would not have talked people out of this mind that i say everybody would not have cajoled this out of her mind that the wife then joined in the applause of her husband's sagacity and thus ended the short dialogue between them on this occasion we will therefore take our leave of these good people and attend his lordship and his fair companions who made such good expedition that they performed a journey of ninety miles in two days and on the second evening arrived in london without having encountered any one adventure on the road worth the dignity of this history to relate 
our pen therefore shall imitate the expedition which it describes and our history shall keep pace with the travellers who are its subject good writers will indeed do well to imitate the ingenious traveller in this instance who always proportions his stay at any place to the beauties elegancies and curiosities which it affords at Escher, at stowe at wilton at eastbury and at friars park days are too short for the ravished imagination while we admire the wondrous power of art in improving nature in some of these art chiefly engages our admiration in others nature and art contend for our applause but in the last the former seems to triumph here nature appears in her richest attire and art dressed with the modestest simplicity attends her benignant mistress here nature indeed pours forth the choicest treasures which she hath lavished on this world and here human nature presents you with an object which can be exceeded only in the other the same taste the same imagination which luxuriously riots in these elegant scenes can be amused with objects of far inferior note the woods the rivers the lawns of devon and of dorset attract the eye of the ingenious traveller and retard his pace which delay he afterwards compensates by swiftly scouring over the gloomy heath of bagshot or that pleasant plain which extends itself westward from stockbridge where no other object than one single tree only in sixteen miles presents itself to the view unless the clouds in compassion to our tired spirits kindly open their variegated mansions to our prospect not so travels the money-meditating tradesman the sagacious justice the dignified doctor the warm-clad grazier with all the numerous offspring of wealth and dullness on they jog with equal pace through the verdant meadows or over the barren heath their horses measuring four miles and a half per hour with the utmost exactness the eyes of the beast and of his master being alike directed forwards and employed in contemplating the same objects in the same manner with equal rapture the good writer surveys the proudest boast of the architect and those fair buildings with which some unknown name hath adorned the rich clothing town where heaps of bricks are piled up as a kind of monument to show that heaps of money had been piled there before and now reader as we are in haste to attend our heroine we will leave to thy sagacity to apply all this to the bow ocean writers and to those authors who are their opposites this thou wilt be abundantly able to perform without our aid bestir thyself therefore on this occasion for though we will always lend thee proper assistance in difficult places as we do not like some others expect thee to use the arts of divination to discover our meaning yet we shall not indulge thy laziness where nothing but thy own attention is required for thou art highly mistaken if thou dost imagine that we intended when we began this great work to leave thy sagacity nothing to do or that without sometimes exercising this talent thou wilt be able to travel through our pages with any pleasure or profit to thyself and now reader as we are in haste to attend our heroine we will leave to thy sagacity to apply all this to the boeotian writers and to those authors who are their opposites this thou wilt this thou wilt be abundantly able to perform without our aid bestir thyself therefore on this occasion 
for though we will always lend thee proper assistance in difficult places as we do not like some others expect thee to use the arts of divination to discover our meaning yet we shall not indulge thy laziness where nothing but thy own attention is required for thou art highly mistaken if thou dost imagine that we intended when we begin this great work to leave thy sagacity nothing to do or that without sometimes exercising this talent thou wilt be able to travel through our pages with any pleasure or profit to thyself chapter ten containing a hint or two concerning virtue and a few more concerning suspicion our company being arrived at london were sat down at his lordship's house where while they refreshed themselves after the fatigue of their journey servants were dispatched to provide a lodging for the two ladies for as her ladyship was not then in town mrs fitzpatrick would by no means consent to accept a bed in the mansion of the peer some readers will perhaps condemn this extraordinary delicacy as i may call it of virtue as too nice and scrupulous but we must make allowances for her situation which must be owned to have been very ticklish and when we consider the malice of censorious tongues we must allow if it was a fault the fault was an excess on the right side in which every woman who is in the self-same situation will do well to imitate the most formal appearance of virtue when it is only an appearance may perhaps in very abstractive considerations seem to be rather less commendable than virtue itself without this formality but it will however be always more commended and this i believe will be granted by all that it is necessary unless in some very particular cases for every woman to support either the one or the other a lodging being prepared sophia accompanied her cousin for that evening but resolved early in the morning to inquire after the lady into whose protection as we have formerly mentioned she had determined to throw herself when she quitted her father's house and this she was the more eager in doing from some observations she had made during her journey in the coach now as we would by no means fix the odious character of suspicion on sophia we are almost afraid to open to our reader the conceits which filled her mind concerning mrs fitzpatrick of whom she certainly entertained at present some doubts which as they are very apt to enter into the bosoms of the worst of people we think proper not to mention more plainly till we have first suggested a word or two to our reader touching suspicion in general of this there have always appeared to me to be two degrees the first of these i choose to derive from the heart as the extreme velocity of its discernment seems to denote some previous inward impulse and the rather as this superlative degree often forms its own objects sees what is not and always more than really exist this is that quick-sighted penetration whose hawk's eyes no symptom of evil can escape which observes not only upon the actions but upon the words and looks of men and as it proceeds from the heart of the observer so it dives into the heart of the observed and there spies evil as it were in the first embryo nay sometimes before it can be said to be conceived an admirable faculty if it were infallible but as this degree of perfection is not even claimed by more than one mortal being so from the fallibility of such acute discernment have arisen many sad mischiefs and most grievous heartaches to innocence and virtue 
I cannot help, therefore, regarding this vast quick-sightedness into evil as a vicious excess, and as a very pernicious evil in itself. And I am the more inclined to this opinion, as I am afraid it always proceeds from a bad heart, for the reasons I have above mentioned, and for one more, namely because I never knew it the property of a good one. Now, from this degree of suspicion, I entirely and absolutely acquit Sophia. A second degree of this quality seems to arise from the head. This is indeed no other than the faculty of seeing what is before your eyes, and of drawing conclusions from what you see. The former of these is unavoidable by those who have any eyes, and the latter is perhaps no less certain and necessary a consequence of our having any brains. This is altogether as bitter an enemy to guilt as the former is to innocence, nor can I see it in an unamiable light even though through human fallibility it should be sometimes mistaken for instance if a husband should accidentally surprise his wife in the lap or in the embraces of some of those pretty young gentlemen who profess the art of cuckold making i should not highly i think blame him for concluding something more than what he saw from the familiarities which he really had seen and which we are at least favourable enough to when we call them innocent freedoms the reader will easily suggest great plenty of instances to himself. I shall add but one more, which, however unchristian it may be thought by some, I cannot help esteeming to be strictly justifiable, and this is a suspicion that a man is capable of doing what he hath done already, and that it is possible for one who has been a villain once to act the same part again, and to confess the truth of this degree of suspicion I believe Sophia was guilty. From this degree of suspicion she had, in fact, conceived an opinion that her cousin was really not better than she should be. The case, it seems, was this. Mrs. Fitzpatrick wisely considered that the virtue of a young lady is, in the world, in the same situation with a poor hare, which is certain whenever it ventures abroad to meet its enemies, for it can hardly meet any other. No sooner, therefore, was she determined to take the first opportunity of quitting the protection of her husband, than she resolved to cast herself under the protection of some other man, and whom could she so properly choose to be her guardian as a person of quality, of fortune, of honour, and who, besides a gallant disposition which inclines men to knight-errantry, that is, to be the champions of ladies in distress, had often declared a violent attachment to herself, and had already given her all the instances of it in his power. But, as the law hath foolishly omitted this office of vice-husband, or guardian to an eloped lady, and as malice is apt to denominate him by a more disagreeable appellation, it was concluded that his lordship should perform all such kind offices to the lady in secret, and without publicly assuming the character of her protector nay, to prevent any other person from seeing him in this light, it was agreed that the lady should proceed directly to Bath, and that his lordship should first go to London, and then should go down to that place by the advice of his physicians. Now all this Sophia very plainly understood, not from the lips or behavior of Mrs. Fitzpatrick, but from the peer, who was infinitely less expert at retaining a secret than was the good lady and perhaps the exact secrecy which Mrs. Fitzpatrick had observed on this head in her narrative served not a little to heighten those suspicions which were now risen in the mind of her cousin. 
Sophia very easily found out the lady she sought, for indeed there was not a chairman in town to whom her house was not perfectly well known, and as she received, in return of her first message, a most pressing invitation, she immediately accepted it. Mrs. Fitzpatrick, indeed, did not desire her cousin to stay with her, with more earnestness than civility required, whether she had discerned and resented the suspicion above mentioned, or from what other motive it arose, I cannot say, but certain it is she was full as desirous of parting with Sophia, as Sophia herself could be of going. The young lady, when she came to take leave of her cousin, could not avoid giving her a short hint of advice. She begged her, for heaven's sake, to take care of herself, and to consider in how dangerous a situation she stood, adding she hoped some method would be found of reconciling her to her husband. You must remember, my dear, says she, the maxim which my Aunt Western had so often repeated to us both, that whenever the matrimonial alliances broke, and war declared between husband and wife, she can hardly make a disadvantageous peace for herself on any conditions. These are my aunt's very words, and she hath had a great deal of experience in the world. Mrs. Fitzpatrick answered with a contemptuous smile, Never fear me, child, take care of herself, for you are younger than I. I will come and visit you in a few days, but dear Sophie, let me give you one piece of advice. Leave the character of grave heirs in the country, for believe me, it will sit very awkwardly upon you in this town. Thus the two cousins parted and Sophia repaired directly to Lady Bellaston, where she found a most hearty, as well as a most polite, welcome. The lady had taken a great fancy to her when she had seen her formerly with her Aunt Western. She was indeed extremely glad to see her, and was no sooner acquainted with the reasons which induced her to leave the squire and to fly to London, than she highly applauded her sense and resolution, and after expressing the highest satisfaction in the opinion which Sophia had declared she entertained of her ladyship by choosing her house for an asylum. She promised her all the protection which it was in her power to give. As we have now brought Sophia into safe hands, the reader will, I apprehend, be contented to deposit her there a while, and to look a little after other personages, and particularly poor Jones, whom we have left long enough to do penance for his past offences, which, as is the nature of vice, brought sufficient punishment upon him themselves. End of section 40